Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Deborah. So Deborah, if you can tell me when and where you were born, and if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So it's all yours, Deborah. You want me to tell you when it means I have to say how old I am? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you're I'm a, a lady, so the, you can, you can omit the year. <laughs> I was born in New York City. I, uh, when I was five, we moved to Long Island, to the suburbs, and I grew up in Freeport, Long Island. Uh, I went to public high school. When I was um, 16, my father decided that he was going to leave his former occupation and move to Texas. Um, So I graduated high school a year early. That actually had some repercussions, I think. And um, Mm. so that I wouldn't have to start high school, you know, do that final year of high school in a strange place. So um, I spent a very lonely... so can we just take you back a little bit? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah, what, sure. what was Long Island like? So, I mean, I guess you can't remember much of, uh, about sort of um, when you were five in New York City, but moving out to the suburbs, what, what what was the area like? Was it was it like you see on the on a on a TV where there's sort of big wide streets, tree lined, um, and 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 sort of. Depends where um, on Long Island you are. So I live on Long Island again now, so it's not too hard to remember. Um, it's uh, Long Island is like, you know, people, I, when I published my first book, my, my publisher wrote that I, I lived in Long Island. I said, no, nobody lives in Long Island. They live on Long Island. There's, um, it's a, it's just a steady stream of townships. And, uh, you know, where one ends, another one starts. And they're, they're small, but, and every, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, but, but it is, you know, the further east you go, the more suburban it becomes. So you're not you're you're not from these parts, right? Not from my parts, anyway. Who'd you're in Australia. No, uh, no. Behave yourself. Come from London. <laughs> London. Okay. Well, you're still on the other side of the pond. So um, yeah. So so a little bit further east than New York. <laughs> okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so um, yeah. So when you leave one town, you're in, immediately in another. But the further east you go, the more there's trees and parks and and open areas. Back then, Suffolk County, so there's there's uh, Manhattan and then there's Queens and Brooklyn are sort of on Long Island, but they're part of the city. And then there's Nassau County, and then there's Suffolk County. Um, so Suffolk County, when I was growing up, was completely undeveloped. And not mm-hmm. so anymore. Um, in fact, some of the, you know, real highfalutin people live way out on the east, the east end in the Hamptons and places like that. But um, but you could I live in Suffolk now, which is just over the Nassau border. Um, it's a very nice blend of a lot of trees, a lot of little crit- critters running about. Um, it's very pretty, uh, but but it's very well. It's very civilized in terms of you can get anything you want here. You know, it's uh, it's 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 built up. <clears throat> so, um, so what, yeah. So, what was your schooling like? What was your what was the, the first school you you um, what do you call it? Kindergarten and middle school. What were they like? Were they the same school or? So we had, so um, I did kindergarten in Queens 
PS 99, I'm told. Um, everything was public school something in, in Queens. And I think in the city as well, in Manhattan. When we say the city, we mean Manhattan, but the city really encompasses five mm. boroughs. Um, but so I, when I moved out, I did elementary school one through four at one school. And then we had a um, fifth and sixth was like, I don't really know what that was. It was just a separate school. <laughs> and then seventh and eighth was what you might, call, I don't know which one you'd call middle school. We called seventh and eighth junior high school. Yeah, It was another building. And then nine through 12 was the high school. And uh, it was integrated. In fact, back then there were um, a lot of issues, you know, black and white in the high school. Yeah. It was uh, not, um, you know, I, I, it was, Freeport High School was one of, was ranked one of the top high schools um, in the country. We even had, we had mathletes. I was a mathlete. My brother was a mathlete. He was much better <laughs> mathlete. Um, and competed against Moscow. And that was in the 70s. So, um it was um, it was a very very um, high scholastically high scholastic school. Mm. I took a lot of advanced placement courses, and because I graduated a year early, I could only take half a year of calculus, which I realized because I was thinking about your podcast. I realized was actually important because because I couldn't take the second half of calculus because I had to stick this social studies class in there, um, which I didn't have time for otherwise. When I went to college and I changed majors and I decided to become a physics major, I figured I could do physics, but I'd only had half the calculus and I couldn't do it. It was like I got to a certain point where I just couldn't do it. And um, I did not do well in physics that year. And, and it, it turned me away from physics. And I, I think I would have been a better physicist than physician in some strange sort of way. But um, I, I mean, I was just I was I still am interested in relativity theory and quantum theory and and seeing that other side of, of mm. life, not just the physical. And there's actually, there is scientific data that proves that the world is not, you know, that, that, that everything we see is not just physical, that there's an energy side to it. It's this like, when you look at, a, when you look at light, um, you can look at the, you can look at it as a, as a, um, as an energy field and you can measure the rays and how it's going to react, but you can also measure it as a photon, as a particle and everything that has a physical side has an energy side. And I was really interested in that. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't go further. I should have just taken the rest of calculus, but um, in my family, you didn't take longer than your four years to graduate. It was like, <laughs> you had to take your four years and that's it. Otherwise, God forbid, you might not actually decide to graduate so yeah so quantum physics then that's that's i think if i'm if i'm right i mean i'm not a scientist by too much of a stretch of imagination but quantum physics is is time travel is it something to do with yeah so yeah i mean it's serving me now because i'm using it um in my books my my third book I used a lot of it because we needed to get off the planet and I wanted to, um, I don't like to ask my readers to make a huge leap to believe something. I like to try to make it, Oh, okay. I can see how that happens or how that could happen. So, yeah. So, um, relativity theory is, and we, it's, it's really amazing because we actually, I do a lot of research. We actually know how mm -hmm. to, um, how to travel at the speed of light, how to, we have the equations. We just yeah. haven't, we haven't solved the energy requirements for it, which is just fascinating to mm. me. 
So of course I solved it in my book because <laughs> you know it's fiction; you can do whatever you want. Absolutely. But, <laughs> oh, because there's so so many books around about about time travel, and um, I'm sure one day it will come. Where yeah, so this wasn't actually be... time travel. This is just being able to travel faster than the speed of light. And so I'll do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very, very simple. I mean, it's, it's so you're not going back. I guess in a way you're going forward in time because otherwise it would take you, you know, light years mm. to get there. But um, I haven't actually incorporated going back and forth through time. Um, but mm. relativity theory does talk about that, about how it's, you know, how it's, it's everything is relative. So, um, yeah, when we, when we were just been chatting before we started, you know, and I told you I was getting over COVID and, and it, you know, it, the frame of mind that you're in really determines the way you see your life. And, and so that's, you know, um, it changes your history in a way, like, because you, you focus on different things and you focus on, you see where you could have gone and where you didn't go. So, Mm. uh, yeah, so it, 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 it's, it's that old, old, age-old question. Um, if you could time travel and go back and have a chat with yourself when you was uh, at whatever age, how would that have an impacted on your life today? And oh, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. Yeah. <laughs> I once worked with a nurse who said, you know, everybody's entitled for, for to one big F up in their lives. And I said, yeah. what if you've had three? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yes. I mean, I, I think I would have had a different major. I would have had a different, uh, I might have had a different partner. Um, I would have had a different, I, w- I would have probably gone a completely different direction. But, you know, they say all roads lead to the same place. And so I, I feel like I'm, I've turned a lot of things around in my career and mm. my life. And so I'm... Um, I may end up getting back to where I was supposed to be to begin with. Yeah. I Because it's so many things can impact your life and, and, and it's the choices you make at the time um, can alter so much in the future. Oh, yeah. Even, even today, um, what, we, what we've come up with today um, can alter... What happens tomorrow? What we can't do is change what happened yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, and what we, you know, what we don't always realize and what I think the pandemic brought home a little bit is that all we have is today. You know, we we don't have tomorrow. We think we have tomorrow. You know, this this idea, the security of knowing, you know, where we are and what we can expect is is just an illusion. You know, I I have two cats and, and they totally live in the present. Well, one of my mm. cats kind of she has she's a little spiteful right now, but um, <laughs> and that's based on past. <laughs> but uh, now I have this cat that I that one I was talking about. I've had her for thirteen years. But the other one I brought in off the street, and um, it's a long story because I'm not I don't usually do stuff like that. I mean, even though I do, you know, my animals are all rescue animals. But um, she's so grateful for every moment that mm. she's not outside. You know, and, yeah. it, and it's like, you know, people say, doesn't she try to get out? No, <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> want to go. She doesn't want to go out when I had to take her. I, I can't pick her up, but she's so affectionate. And um, and when I did have to get her to the vet, you know, for she she flipped out. And I thought she was trying to, to get out of the, the carrier. And then I realized later she was afraid I was going to let her out and just let her go. 
because yeah. she just all she wanted was to be in the indoors, climate controlled, soft places to hang yeah. out, food on the table, um, and somebody to love her. And you know, when she, you know, and get, she gets affection, and yeah. that's all she wants. So she's just in the moment, like she, she, she knows where she's been, and right now, life is good. Yeah. You know? And I, I guess yeah. we could all learn from that a little bit. What 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 cat's a little bit different? <laughs> he loves going out. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he spends about eighteen days, of, uh, eighteen hours a day asleep. But right. when he's up and about, he's he, he, he's all out. He's 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 um is he terrorising? He, he's 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 the boss around the neighbourhood. Uh-huh. He chases foxes. He brings in mice, Brazen. birds. Yeah, he's 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 a proper little hunter. Um, and just recently, um, about five months ago, we we got a new puppy. Uh-huh. And a, and a puppy is is a little bit slow to learn at times. Um, he, he, he's learning very quickly how to leave Artie alone, <laughs> leave the cat alone. He's he's just had the old snip, um, and before that, <laughs> yeah, the, the vets had him down as a serial humper. A serial what? And, and he, a serial humper. Uh huh. So he, he he tried to do it on a cat one day. <laughs> it's so funny yeah. to watch. He, he tried it, and, and the next thing he's flying across the room. <laughs> the cats turn around and give him one. Bosh! I think it has Very to do funny. with the age, also. So, like, she's yeah, yeah. that is an older cat. She's like, she had. Well, we celebrated her birthday yesterday, so she's eleven. We we're calling her. Mm-hmm. My other cat's thirteen. She's not on board with this whole project with rescuing this cat, and she will sit. <laughs> across the hall and just she'll sit there and she'll just make yeah, sure that cat does not leave that room that's her space and she can't go any <laughs> it's like you know it's as long as they they don't fight each other and don't have to mm. worry about that you know I'll, i'm happy yeah. but so anyway let's 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 get back to you then so let's let's move on a little bit to your um going through high school uh, and when you moved down to texas so we moved to Texas the day after I graduated high school. It was traumatic. Um, I was in New York. I was a 16-year-old New York Jew in Austin, Texas in 1977. Um, my, so, uh, I'd say the majority of my dorm mates had never met a Jew before. And so that was interesting. It made me very um, uncertain, I guess, in a lot of ways. And uh, there's one person, she, she was looking for my horns, literally looking for the horns on my head. <laughs> like, are you out of your mind? And um, she was from East Texas, from Sulphur Springs. And <laughs> I couldn't understand her in the, minute, in the beginning. She couldn't understand me. Sometimes they'd come into the, my room just to hear my accent, um, a lot of which I've lost, you know, because I'm sort of like mm. a combination of things now. I mean, you can still recognize I'm a New Yorker, but yeah. Um, but it was, um, but anyway, you know, I gravitated to, I went to the Hillel and I, I found people to, you know, that I wouldn't feel like I had horns on my head if I was hanging around. <laughs> and, uh, and then there was so, <clears throat> excuse me, it was the University of Texas at Austin, 50,000 undergraduate students, huge wow. university. And, um, and I'm, I remember standing at this, uh, in this orientation, there's like wall-to-wall people standing there listening to somebody way up there on the stage. And I'm looking at this pamphlet and it's saying plan one, this, this these are requirements, everything for plan one. And I'm like, kept turning it over. It's like, okay, so where's plan two? 
<laughs> if there's a plan one, there's got to be a plan two, right? So um, anyway, I finally found, so plan two was an honors program in the school. And I guess you had to be smart enough to ask the question. I don't know. Um, or you had to just know about it, which a lot of Texans do. And uh, there were 500 students in that program out of the 50,000. And I got into that program and that was much more personal. And then it was more of a, um, I didn't feel like so lost in the pond, you know, and they had special courses for, you know, um, like the sort of the basics were all plan two courses. They were taught by handpicked professors. Um, they were incredibly interesting. I was never interested in history before because it was always just dates, you know, memorize the dates and the things and yeah. that's it. And then I took this intellectual history class and history just came alive for me. Like, you know, why these things happened and what repercussions they had and how they affected the world. And, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, history is really fascinating. You know, um, it really depends on who's teaching. <laughs> so absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, so I'm part of a history group here uh, in, um, in Gosport where I live. We, we, we're setting up a new museum. Uh, it's called Conflict Military Museum Gosport. And it's looking at the military history of Gosport, which goes back to the the early 1700s. Mm -hmm. There's more military history uh, within about three miles of where I live than there is across in Portsmouth that's got a big naval area. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're setting this up at the moment and it's, uh, I mean, it's so much stuff that we've got ready to go. And uh, well, hopefully we're going to be open at Easter. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, and that's that, and we've got living history guys that are involved with it and all sorts. So it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, and it's just such a great. I mean, it helps us to understand how we got to where we are. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always keep people from going back to where we were. But that's another story. It's sad, but mm. um, yeah. And so, um, so I started as a pre med major because that's what I was told growing up I was going to do, and. Um, because I had taken advanced placement chemistry in high school, I jumped right into organic chemistry as my fresh as a freshman, you know, trying to fit into this new society and culture. Mm. And um, then I was falling in love with someone and I didn't care about the silly little electrons going around and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here to tell anybody, you know, just because you fail a really important class doesn't mean you can't do what you really want, wanted to do. Um, but anyway, I failed. And uh, that was when I, I set off into physics and I had the problem with the calculus. Um, mm. And um, and then I decided what I really was interested in was philosophy. And so all the time, I, since I was in this plan two program, my major was plan two, which was just this honors humanities program. And then I could concentrate. Um, I also ended up studying Hebrew, believe it or not, in Austin, Texas, of all places, they had a huge um, Middle East department of studies. And I was like six credits away from, um, from a, uh, a degree in, in Hebrew, but I, 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 um, I did a joint philosophy in Hebrew. And, I, and then I started a graduate program in comparative religion in Philadelphia. Um, I was going to get a PhD in comparative religion. And I, and there's another spot, you know, another place where if I could do things over again, I would have finished that. I would have at least, you know, I, I would have gone further with that. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, when I went down to visit my family, they were so disappointed that I was doing, they said, how are you going to make a living, you know, teaching comparative, what are you going to do with that? And my father said, what are you going to do with comparative religion? You know, he was not 
real fond of the whole religion thing anyway, for a variety of reasons. So mm. um, anyway, I ended up leaving the program, going back, taking pre-med classes and going to medical school. So that was, um, and it's interesting because it never occurred to me that I wouldn't get into medical school. I went, I went to the, um, I went to the, the person who runs the, the health science, you know, like the, like the pre, the pre-med program at, at college. Yeah. And, and she just said, she looked at my transfer and said, Oh, you can't go to medical school. You failed organic. You got a, you got a D in physics. You can't. And, you know, if she had said to me, um, you know, this is going to be really hard for you and you're going to have to do a lot of extra things and yada, yada, you know, she might've discouraged me. She didn't, she told me I can't. And I was, <laughs> I was 20 years old and yeah, I was 21 years old and someone said to me, you, you can't, I said, watch me. <laughs> so yeah, long story short. So I went to medical school. <laughs> so you came out of medical school when you were 27 then? Is it a seven year course? Uh, so it's four years, four years of med school and then typically three year residency. And, um, yeah, I started med school when I was, well, I needed, I, I started, uh, it was back when I was 21 and then I had to do a year's worth of pre-med courses. So I started med school when I was, I started in 83. So I was 23 years old. Mm. Oh, I just told you my age. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So you're younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I graduated in '87, and mm. um, and then I came back to New York to do um, postgraduate training, and and then uh, and I was married to someone. It was kind of a disaster, but I got I got a wonderful son out of it. So um, who is also a doctor now? I couldn't talk him out of it. He's 31 years old. And he's at Harvard. He's, I have a son at Harvard. Um, oh, and he's doing nice a, a residency. And he started in anesthesia, but then he changed to medicine. He wants to actually be the ICU doctor, which I said, well, that might come in handy for me, you know, if he's the intensivist and I ever need to be in an ICU. Yeah. So, right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so he's well on his way, but he's going to have to do, after he finished, so after he finishes his residency, he's going to have to do, uh, fellowship and he hasn't decided if he wants to do it in cardiology or pulmonology or how he's going to get to where he wants to go to do critical care. Mm. It's a long, it's a very long road. Yes. So what about you then? So you moved back to New York. Um, what was the first job you got? I'm sorry? Well, where, what was the first job you got? Where were you working to do your um, post-grad stuff? My first job. So I, I, um, I was working, um, on Long Island in, uh, it was actually in an urgent care center, which I ended up kind of staying with that concept because I then had a child and his father uh, met someone else while I was pregnant and decided he wasn't going to be part of my life anymore. So working in urgent care um, allowed me the, the flexibility of having shifts. And so I would have, you know, I knew exactly when I needed babysitting I, I knew what days I would be off. I didn't have to go in in the morning and round on patients. I didn't have to stay late for admissions. So and I didn't have the stress and craziness of the emergency department. So um, so I did that and I kind of stayed with that. The, the custody battle lasted five, four and a half years. And um, it, it was kind of horrible. Um, and by then it was just, I, I think I was just, my, my family was not very supportive um, 
And so I was sort of left with um, raising a child by myself. And I felt, uh, I kind of felt trapped, you know, like I, like I just had to keep doing this. I just wanted to, you know, I, I, he needed to be in summer camp because I still had to work and he couldn't be roaming the streets while I was at work. And, you know, he like, you know, kids, uh, kids get into trouble on Long Island. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, um, so it was, um, it was kind of a struggle. Um, now that he's all grown up, now it's like my time you know, mm. to start figuring out yeah. what I wanted. And I was like, what did I want to be when I grow up? You know, like, what do I want to do with my life? And, you know, and that's when I started writing. And, um, and I find that very satisfying. And I started coaching. I got, a, I got certified as a coach as well, which mm. allows me to do all the things I can't do as a doctor anymore because medicine's completely changed. So yeah, in this country, you know, you, being a doctor is, is almost like being a hamster on a wheel. It's, a, it's just... Like my organization now is owned by a by a um, uh, by a drugstore. <laughs> I just I just I don't want to call anybody out, but you know, like you have CVS, Walgreens, stuff like that here, and and uh, one of those guys owns our organization. We just merged. No, they didn't merge. Mm-hmm. It was an acquisition. So um, yeah, yeah, which I think is kind of a conflict of interest, but nobody asked me. So I write, yeah. you know, snarky blogs about that kind of stuff, but. It's about it, you know. So, um, yeah. So it's not really satisfying to me anymore yeah. to spend, you know, three and a half minutes with a patient, and if I spend six minutes, well, I'm taking too long, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not a lot of fun being a patient. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun being a patient either. No, it's a, it's terrible. No. It's terrible for both. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that inspired me to write my first book, which was. Um, so what was that all about? Was that? What's your first book all about? My first book, I just found lying here, is called um, Code Blue, The Other mm-hmm. End of the Stethoscope. And it's um, it follows a doctor around. Um, and you see every single interaction, every patient interaction is based on something that actually happened. But of course, you know, I changed names and body yeah. parts and things like that. And I wanted to demonstrate, I wanted the public to see what we go through in order yeah. to just so, take care of so patients. Is it fiction, fiction? It, so I, had to, I decided to make it fiction because if I didn't, then I'm liable for everything I say and I could get sued and whatever. So, um, so I made it fiction. So it's uh, the Russian oligarchs hack into our electronic medical records. They take that information, extort millions of dollars from the patients and then murder them. So it's a murder mystery. Oh, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, right. It's a murder mystery, but it's set in a corporate urgent care. And so I really wanted the important part for me was having people experience what it's like to work in a corporate medical office. Um, But the fun part for me was writing the the murder mystery, the thriller. So it's a a medical thriller. And and that taught me that I love writing. So that um, gave me a whole new a whole new avenue. Yeah, and then I wrote two more so, books, and now I'm starting a science fiction series. So, what what was your second book about? My second book, which I also just found lying here, is called Undue Influences, and it is a political thriller, and it is based on. I wrote that in response to the extremism that we're seeing in this country. You know, it's 
gotten a little better, um, but certainly a couple of years ago, it was horrible. People won't talk to each other if they're on the wrong side of the political aisle from them. And, you know, <laughs> you have to believe what I believe. And, you know, it, it, you know, coming to blows over things, it's like ridiculous. You know, it used yeah. to be that our Democrats and Republicans weren't that far apart. You know, they had a few mm. differences of opinions, but, you know, they could go out and have lunch together, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's, it's not like that anymore. So, so this, this new, this book is, it's uh, basically, um, it starts out with this kid who Joshua, who finds his way into his uncle's office on, in New York city and he's covered in blood and he can't remember anything and none of the blood is his. <laughs> and so then it turns, it becomes this whole, you know, exploration into well, what happened and, and did he hurt someone and who was it? And, you know, um, and then and it, his uncle is trying to unravel this for him. And it, he gets caught in this this web of, you know, of the, these government plots and setups and, you know, all this intrigue. And it turns out he's one of the few people who can resist this. There's a, there's a plot afoot where the government is literally brainwashing the American people. And that was sort of my like it seemed to me like my my neighbors were brainwash <laughs> like they weren't thinking <laughs> for themselves you know so um <laughs> so i wrote that about and then it's you know and then how does he save his his nephew and then his sister gets implicated and and how does he, and then he becomes a target because he doesn't want to work for the government once he's figured it out he's either a liability or he's an asset and since he doesn't want to mm. be an asset they want to kill him so um i had a hard time finishing that book because I couldn't pull, you know, when you write a book, you want it to come together in a satisfying way. So the reader can feel like, yeah. oh, okay, like that ended well, you know, I didn't know how to end it. So but like then, a Hollywood movie where everybody's happy at the end and all the rest of it. There's, yeah. And I don't, Hollywood just doesn't know how to have a bad ending. <laughs> where it all, <laughs> no, they did. Where it all they did. ends horribly. It wasn't Hollywood, but Game of Thrones had a terrible ending. But we won't go into that. But, oh, that was a great ending. That was, uh, it wasn't even an ending. It was just, uh, I could have I written a much better ending. But so when I realized that I wasn't going to solve all the world's problems in this one book, then I kind of relaxed and I tied it up. And then yeah. I knew I was going to need to write a sequel. So, um, so I wrote the sequel, which is called Beyond the, Beyond the Pillars of Salt. And it yeah. is a dystopian fiction. And it picks up in 2032. And it's one possible progression of what our culture might become if we don't start to um, pay more attention mm. to our environment, to the earth, to the climate, um, to each other. You know, so it, it's in this world, it's a it's a dictatorship because there are no more free or fair elections. Nobody believes the yeah. election results. It became, you know, just um, just uh, a lot of cruelty and autocracy and the planet's breaking up. And so that's the book where I did all the physics research in, and um, and I um, it, it, the same group that you sort of follow in Undue Influences is in this, and they have this little enclave in the in the mountains, and they realize they have to leave, and how are they going to leave? They have to actually leave the planet. There's no other option for them. So um, I don't want to give it all away, but but basically, you know, the the not so subtle inference is that if we don't fix these things if we don't start treating the planet better and we don't treat each other better we're going to engineer our own extinction like the human race won't survive and yeah. so um how can we survive so this this group of people um manages to get off world 
And that's where I'm starting my science fiction series on the planet Meraki. And uh, uh-huh. the problems that they have, there's two, there are two different sapien species and, and the humans are, we're only in like, we're only at like 20, 22,000 words, but they're already having problems with both species. So they're going to have to figure that out and learn to get along, you know, learn to, learn to be, you know, decent, decent people. Yeah. So sounds as though so it's starting to come together quite well for you then. I hope so. I, I do mm. hope so. So um, where are your books available? Can you get off of Amazon and, and places Amazon, like that? yeah. If you, look, if you just look me up, Deborah Blaine Books, under books, you'll see them all. Um, you can mm-hmm. also go to my website, which is DebraBlaine.com, and you can yeah. read a little bit about each one right there in one spot. And uh, I also, so I learned to, um, initially the first two books were published by a hybrid publisher. And, um, and then I... You know, they just take so long. And when Pillars was coming out, I, I wanted it faster and they couldn't promise me any faster. And so I did it myself. If anybody had told me I was going to be able to do this myself, then I would have been like, really? But um, <laughs> I, I learned to do it myself. It took me 67 days to publish the book from the time my final draft was finished. Two professional edits, um, cover design, get, buying the ISBNs, registering everything, 67 days. And I had my book out. And there it is. Wow. And I said, you know what? This is crazy. Why don't people, you know, and a lot of people do self-publish, but a lot of people mm-hmm. are really intimidated by the whole process. So one of the things I do now, because I'm also, I'm also a coach. So I also coach people to publish their own books. And it's, yeah. uh, it's not like, um, you know, like when I coach people for other things as a life coach or a writing coach, it's, you know, it's, it's ongoing. Um, but for this, I just charge like a flat fee up front. And then you don't have to pay me anything else. We make sure your book is out and that you're happy with it. And, um, and I'll format it for you if you need. And if you don't, you know, if you don't want to get the, the software yourself and, and um, you know, just to tell people this is, you know, there's like a lot of, I've learned so much about the publishing world and, and what you can do and what you can't do and all the, you know, nuances of Ingram Spark and Amazon and Apple and Barnes and Noble and, and, you know, copywriting your book and, you know, so I, I feel like I have a lot that I can offer people and I don't charge them fees, you know, to like, like they're going to upload their book. They're going to get all their own royalties directly into their account. I have nothing to do with their royalties. I'm not charging them anything else just to help them get it up there. Mm. So. And that's, that's, that's important. I mean, have you turned your books into an audio book at all? I'm sorry. I can't, have, I can't drink it? and hear at the same time. <laughs> Have you turned your books into audio books? I can. Am I doing it with all books? Is that what you ask? Or audio. Do, do audio books. So, so your books, uh, as well as being in, in, in paperback form. Uh, paperback. So once you've, got, once you've got it done. So like I use a software program. I think they all do this. Whereas once you've got it done, you put it in the program. It generates um, the eBooks for each individual platform. It generates the print version. Yeah. Your print version is the same for your hard cover or your soft cover. Um, yeah. The cover itself will be different, obviously, um, not in design, but in, you know, in dimensions. Um, yeah. The ebook, you don't, you don't even need, like all you need is, is just the cover. Um, yeah. If you want a print book, you need someone who's going to do the spine and the back as well. Yeah. Um, and it's important. You need your page count before you can have that done because you need to know how big the spine is because it has to fit yeah. perfectly. And 
And, and what about audio books? Are you going to turn them into an audio book? Uh, an audio book. So yeah. um, I know people have been asking me about audio books. It's, it's, uh, I, I think I need to do that, but it's, it's hard to let go of the audio. So, you know, when you, when you, when you write a book, you have a picture in your head, you hear the voices. Yeah. And then if you read my book, you get a picture in your head and you hear the whatever and you make it what you make it yours. Mm-hmm. If you um, like once you make a movie, now you're hearing someone else's voices and you're getting someone yeah. else's picture. But OK. But when you do an audio book, someone else is reading and, and giving the inflections and and, you know, and is creating a picture for my reader that wasn't necessarily what I intended. And I don't care if the reader comes up with their own, but it's being yeah. fed to that. It's, it's just, you know, it's hard to let go of. But Are you thought about recording it yourself? It's so, it's, it's tricky. Um, you need a completely soundproof studio, um, which I don't have here. So you have to rent space. Um, and it's, yeah. it's tedious to go through 105,000 words <laughs> and read them, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, like undue influence is 105,000 words. So, I mean, you know, that is one way to go, but I, I would have to rent a studio, you yeah. know, so that the, the cat's not jumping on my lap at any point. <laughs> I mean, it would take a few days to read it obviously, and, and then, and then get it edited and, and then put into audio form, which is, uh, I, I love audio books, um, Listen to quite a lot. Listen quite a lot of podcasts, and uh, and I create an awful lot as well. So <laughs> I know people have been people have been asking me, and um, you know you you can and there's other there's different ways to do it. So you can hire someone. Um, you 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 usually get to listen to a sample of how they're going to read it before yeah. you make a decision to to let them do it. Um, you can either hire someone for a flat fee. Now it's your book. It's your audiobook, or you can let them do it, and then they get a percentage of the sales. Um, so, yeah, there's all kinds of different ways to do that. Yeah. So, are you still working full time or part time? Um, part time. Part time, and and what's what's your aspirations for the future? Um, to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to be fully retired from medicine. Um, I would like to continue writing, of course, and coaching. I enjoy coaching people because it's like being a doctor used to be. I can I get to know people. I get to understand what they want for themselves. I help them to clarify what they want for themselves, and I help them to identify what's getting in the way. You know, mm-hmm. like like why you know why aren't you where you want to be and 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 does it have to be getting in the way? Because so much of our, um, so much of the limitations on our lives are self-imposed. You know, yeah. we 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 think we can't do that. I mean, so that was like one of the the messages of undue influences is so much of the things we believe, we never came to, we never decided on those things. They were they were spoon fed yeah. to us from the time we were t- tiny children, and then as we grow up, peer pressure and, and our friends and and then our company wants us to believe a certain way, or our political party wants us, to, or our neighbors, and then there's so much information that comes at us so quickly that we can't possibly go through it all. So we just say, mm. "Oh, okay, Tim likes this. I, I like Tim. I'll just like this too." You, you know, I mean, it's 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 almost an unconscious yeah. thing, and. Um, 
So one of the things that I try to work with my my clients is, you know, is is that a position that you really believe in? Is that something that serves you? Where did it come from? Do you still want it? Do you want to get rid of it? <laughs> you know, because you have that. No, you have that choice. You have the choice yeah. to say that really. Why did I? Why did I ever think that? You know, I I, I can do this. There's, you know, like when I started to to say I, I was going to, I'm starting to do social media, which is not like, it's, it's a stretch for me. And it was like, you know, my first thing is, well, I can't do that. And then I thought, okay, I am not genetically incapable of doing this. I just don't know how I can learn, you know, it's like getting that difference, you know, in, yeah. in my head that there's, is, is this a real barrier or is it a, is it a false barrier that I've just come to believe so much that it's like become a thing that I can't get past. So that's what I really enjoy working with clients with that. And I, so I, um, so I'm a certified life coach. I work um, with doctors who are burned out, but I also work with pretty much anybody who is stuck, you know, who feels stuck yeah. and wants to, you know, just, just get past it and, and, and even discover some people don't even know what they want out of life. You know, they just know they're not happy. And so it's just a process of helping people figure out who they are. And, and who they want to be and, and to know that they can be whoever they want to be. And then I also coach writers and um, I love, I love coaching writers because they're awesome people. And, and, and when I write, it's like, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this world of my own creation. You know, it's, it's just, yeah. you, you can't. I mean, that's, that's, that's the great part about, I mean, I, I try to write a bit and uh, you, you can, you just, focus in and if you can shut everything else out you've got to concentrate on, on on what you're doing and and getting the words on the paper um i think that's that's the key is 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 having a clear vision of what you, you want at the end of it and then go for it and having the time to sit down and do it that's the other yeah <laughs> life, and life, you know life's so busy <laughs> when, when i coach writers so it's like and i'm starting to put some of this up on social media um you know how I ask them, how is creating a character like hiring an employee? I'm going to ask you. Mm. So you need someone who can fulfill the job requirements, right? You have to create yeah. someone who can do what you need them to do. Um, you want a personality that at least at first glance looks like they're going to fit in, right, with the culture of your company. Yeah. Um, they need a resume, which equals they need a backstory. So you create their backstory, um, which can be very interesting and doesn't have to be known to the employee, to the employer, mm. um, and can have all kinds of things that are going to bode ill or well in the future. Um, if they do really well, sometimes, it's, and then, then you got to let them go and let them do their thing. Now they have a character yeah. and a personality. And, you know, and if you're going along on a scene and you, this character's, no, I wouldn't do that. I would do this. Like, hmm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you let them do it. And sometimes they do so well that you want to promote them. And now they take on a greater role in your book than you thought they would. Sometimes yeah. they do really poorly and you have to fire you them, which them means you knock them off. <laughs> 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 you know, you have, you're perfectly free to do that. You say, you know what? You're not working out for me. Yeah. You're out of this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> well, Deborah. I, th I think that's fantastic what you're doing. Um, three you. books under your belt and uh, terrific. Thank you. So, no, thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is a lot of fun. You're welcome. 
The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.